You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, the year 2008, um, it was a big year for Kelly and me. Um, Why, you may ask? Well, it was in May of that year that I graduated from seminary, and then two short weeks later, I made it official that I'd outpunted uh, my coverage when I married the love of my life. So in my book, those would have been big enough to say that 2008 was a pretty successful and important year for our family. But it didn't stop there. Because it was also in that year that God moved us to Huntsville in view of a call to do student ministry. And then in that fall, we bought our first house. Now, let's talk about that first house for a second. I'm sure many of you, you remember the first house that you lived in. You remember the weird sounds it made and even where not to step. You remember those important special memories you made in that house. You also remember the home improvements you took on and you succeeded, and even the home improvements that you failed in and you almost brought the house down. I can testify to almost doing that. But let me ask you this. Do you remember the emotions and the excitement that went behind finding that first house? I know I sure do. For Kelly and me, we walked into the very first house we saw, and immediately we knew it was the one. We fell in love with its character inside and outside. And now that should have been the first caution flag, at least looking back. Uh, Because I don't know if you heard what I said, but we bought the first house we saw. Like we didn't have a list. It was just that. We walked in and go, yep, praise the Lord. This is it. I mean, nobody does that, I don't think, in our day and time except us. But you know what is amazing? about that first house. It changes with your second and your third house, but with that first house, you fall in love with it and you'll overlook many of its flaws. Kelly and I were no different. We fell in love with the characteristics of it and we were new to the whole home buying thing. And so we forgot to ask some important questions and and look at the most important thing, which is the, the foundation. So sadly, over the next four years, we found ourselves constantly repairing things that dealt with our foundation. And if you've ever seen the, the movie Money Pit, we would joke that our house was the money pit that Tom Hanks lived in many years ago because it seemed like every month we were fixing something. But it wasn't until we started preparing our house to sell that we got down to the source of the problem. You know, we realized or, or we knew that we had an air handler unit up in our attic. And unlike most air handler units, they have a drain that runs outside to drop its water. Before we moved in the house, somebody had decided to cut that drain and make it shorter. Great idea. And so they ran it and it dropped its water in between two walls, the outside and the inside wall. And it would fall all the way down um, to the beam. I don't know what it's properly called, but the beam that sits on the foundation. Pretty important one because it's where all the floor joists are connected into. And so for at least four years, but probably even longer, that beam soaked in the water. And what happened is when we would go under the crawl space and you looked at the backside of our house, you could see the beam just in all these different spots. It was rotted and and just with the mold on it. And you could take your hand and just rub it across and just chunks of the board would just peel off. Now, it doesn't take a contractor to tell you that's not a good thing. But he decided to tell us anyways after He came and he jacked up the backside of our house. 
He ripped out the old board. He put the new board in and made sure everything was tied back in. And he told us, it's amazing that the backside of your house hasn't fallen in or given way yet. You know, that, that simple oversight, just falling in love with the outward facade and just letting the emotions get the best of us, it cost us. It cost us severely. It cost us time and it cost us a whole lot of money. And maybe there's some of you here in this room that you can relate. You've had foundation problems, and so you understand how much it costs. But even if you can't, like our students who have never bought a house before, I think we'd all be in agreement when we say that foundations are of the utmost importance. Without a foundation, you don't have a house. And without a healthy foundation, eventually when the storms come and the winds blow, that house, it will give way. And in the exact same way, but even on a greater level, foundations are of the utmost importance when it comes to our spiritual lives in the church. If you and I are to be what God demands from us, if we are to be growing and strong, vibrant Christians, and for the church to be what God has always intended it to be, it requires that we build on a healthy foundation. A foundation where Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and we build off of God's word. But sadly, many people and even churches, they're guilty of doing exactly what Kelly and I did. They let their emotions get the best of them and they fall in love with that outward facade. They fall in love with really preferences. They're not foundational to their spiritual life, but they build on those things, those preferences, and it will cost them. Things like the lights, they get carried away when they go, man, that was awesome. They had cool light features. I love that. It was like a light show. They'll fall in love with the looks of the building. They'll fall in love with how many people are there or even how many programs the church offers. Preferences. Rather than building on God and what his word has said are foundational for our lives. Things that are non-negotiables. Things that you and I don't get to opt out and say, well, that's not for me. These things are foundational and vital for our church. So that is why today we are starting a new series called Foundations. And over the course of this month, we are going to be answering foundational questions. Questions that have answers based on and built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And let me just say this. These are not the only foundational questions out there. But these are the ones that we felt that we as pastors here at the Brook, God was leading us to speak on right now. And so this morning, we answer our first foundational question. Why do we preach? Why do we do this? Why is it that every Sunday we will stand up and sing songs about how great our God is, and then we'll sit down and we'll have God's word proclaimed over us, preached over us? I mean, is it just out of tradition? Did the church just thousands of years ago say, yep, this is going to be the best way to communicate God's word? Is it out of habit or routine or is there more to it? To help us answer this question, uh, one of the passages we will be looking at is 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it there with me and just hold your spot there because we're going to get to it in just a moment. But I know what some of you are thinking. Why here? Why are we starting a series called Foundational Foundations on why do we preach? Well, in short, we have to start here. That is because the first mark 
of the church. The first mark or identifying factor of the church is its preaching. Notice I didn't say it, it's its student ministry or its children's ministry or even how the church impacts and serves the community. Those are all vital and necessary, so don't get me wrong. But the first and primary mark of the church and in identifying factor is its preaching. In other words, if the world were to look at the church under a microscope, the first evidence it should see that we are truly the church of Jesus Christ should be found in its preaching. Preaching is the first mark of the church because in many ways you could look at it and determine the health of the church and all of its ministries that extend from it. A church that is light on the gospel, a church that preaches preference and doesn't want to offend culture will have very little, if any, impact on its community or the culture. Matter of fact, it'll probably look like the culture. But a church that preaches the entirety of God's word, it preaches the gospel, it will be a light in the darkness, it will impact its community and the culture, which may mean it even is persecuted by the world. Preaching is so important that Martin Luther, he would say this. Now, wherever you hear or see this word preached, believe, professed, and lived, do not doubt that the true Ecclesia Sancta Catholica, Christian holy people, must be there. And even if there were no other sign than this alone, it would suffice to prove that a Christian holy people must exist there, for God's word cannot be without God's people And conversely, God's people cannot be without God's word. So the first mark of the church is its preaching. Therefore, it's safe to say that without preaching, there is no church. But we preach because we have a reason behind it, don't we? I mean, the church preaches because we have a news worth sharing. And I don't know about you, but I feel like we have a lot lot more news agencies that we need feeling like they need to share their thoughts. We even have... News agencies that give us fake news. Go figure. But you know what drives me crazy, or at least frustrates me, is when I'm watching my show or my game on a local channel, and all of a sudden, our local news channel will come in, and they'll interrupt the program, and they'll say something to the effect of, we're sorry to interrupt your original programming. Instead of flipping the channel and going, okay, man, that doesn't apply to me. I can't believe them. I don't care what they have to say. You and I both, when they do that, we sit up. We listen very intently because we know that our news channel isn't going to interrupt original programming unless they have something very vital, something very important that is worth telling their viewers. Because they know it could affect their lives. North Alabama, we know it far too well, is tornado warnings. And so we sit and we listen intently. And then once the threat is gone, we'll, we'll move on and we'll go back to original programming. In the same way, but on a much, much greater level, we have a news that is clear. We have a news that we can be confident in because it is the good news. We have a news that absolutely impacts people's lives. And therefore, it's a news worth interrupting people's lives. And it interrupts people's lives for eternity, not just temporarily. Isaiah 49 would say, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. That word herald means preacher. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. This is the news we proclaim. This is the news that never gets old. This is the news that runs from the front page to the back page for all generations to see. That we get to say, behold our God. This news says that our Savior shook earth 
for all eternity when God came down to us because we cannot get to him. It's a news that says our Savior rescued us when he became the lamb that was led to the slaughter so you and I could be forgiven of our sins and have relationship with him. It's a news that says our Savior rescued us and not only that, but he declared victory when three days later he would rise from the dead. And that way you and I as believers, we could say along with David, oh death, where is your sting? Because we know one day we're gonna be with him. But the news goes on because our news says that our Savior, his mercies are new every morning. He is gracious. He is steadfast in his love. He is our shade. He is our shelter. He is our hope. And our Savior will one day return for his bride, the church. And I don't know about you, but that gets me pumped up because we have a news worth sharing. So we say, behold our God. John Piper at the Passion Conference two years ago, speaking to thousands upon thousands of college students, he spoke on this very issue and he talks about the news that we have. And he said it this way, news of such scope as wide as the universe. News of such duration, establishing an eternal kingdom. News of such global relevance for every people and tongue and tribe and nation. News of such great joy that it must be preached and sung. For 2,000 years, the church has proven over and over again that the truth of Christianity cannot simply be taught or lectured or analyzed or explored or discussed or debated or shared. It must be heralded. It must be preached. It creates its own unique form of expository exaltation because it is first and foremost spectacular news. That is why we preach, because we have spectacular news that is worth interrupting people's lives with, because it changes eternity. And it's for every tribe, tongue, and nation. And if that wasn't reason enough for why we preach, because we have a news worth sharing, we preach because we have been given a command. Look with me at 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. We're going to stop there for right now. We're going to go on and get to the rest of it in just a second. But what we find right here is Paul, he's in a prison cell and he's in prison for the last time. He knows time is near and that soon he will be martyred. So he writes with great urgency to Timothy his son in the faith, who he would have led to Christ during his first missionary journey. And he gives Timothy this one command, preach the word. He says, Timothy, don't just take mine. It's not my advice. I'm doing this in the presence of God, the father and Christ Jesus, preach the word. And so what we see in the passage is preaching is God's design and it's God's command, preach the word. So you see, preaching is uniquely Christian. Yes, other religions, they may teach. They may even call it preaching, but they're not. They may read their books. They may even pray. But they they don't preach because preaching is exclusive and unique to the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God designed it. We look back at the Old Testament. We see prophets over and over again proclaiming God's word. He designed it, but not only that, he commanded it just like we saw in 2 Timothy 4. But on top of that, if you were to find preaching, preaching is the proclamation of the gospel, which is good news. It is the truth. It's not just theory. So no other religion, 
not Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Scientology, any other religion you want to bring to the table, they don't preach because they don't have the good news. And they don't have the good news because even though they may preach that Jesus is a prophet, they don't have Jesus as the risen Savior who is and is to come. They don't have that. And so preaching is unique to only the church. But Paul doesn't stop there and very nonchalantly say, hey, Timothy, I want you to preach the word and then move on to other things. Instead, he wants Timothy, he wants pastors, he wants you and I as the church to understand the seriousness and the importance of this calling. That's why Paul says, I give you this command, Timothy, in the presence of God the Father in Christ Jesus. Who is that same Jesus who is going to come? He will judge the living and the dead and he will establish his kingdom. That judgment that Paul is talking about in this passage is a judgment for believers. And he will judge us on the works that we have done, whether good or bad. But even more so, Paul is directing this to Timothy and reminding him of the seriousness of this call and that it's a high responsibility and accountability. James, and if we were to look over at James chapter 3, verse 1, James talks and warns pastors to the seriousness of this calling. I want to stop there and stress that word calling. God forbid if any young man or woman goes, man, I want to, I want to be in the ministry because I think it's cool. I get to hang out with students and we get to have lock-ins and it must be cool to stand up on a stage and, and preach God's word. No, it's, it's more than just cool. It's a calling. And I can remember in December of 1999, at Whitesburg Baptist Church, the pastor, the missions pastor, Dick Tomassian, was speaking. And he was telling us that the harvest is near, but the workers are few. And immediately I knew and I felt God's spirit working and saying, it's time to confirm it. It's time to let the world know I'm calling you into ministry. God had been working on my life for many years before that, but it was then that he made it really official and very clear. And many times when I leave the brook, I begin to listen to the lies of the enemy going, you're no good. You're not cut out for this. You're a failure. You just need to quit. And God just brings me back and says, no, remember, I called you. And so James reminds pastors about the seriousness of the calling when he says in chapter 3, 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The seriousness of this charge should humble us every time to the high calling. And with that calling comes a high responsibility, but also a high accountability because as pastors, we speak the words of God to his people. And so we dare not water it down. We dare not speak our opinion or worry about what culture is saying because we don't want to offend culture or, or anything like that. We, we better believe we, we speak clearly and accurately and confidently all of God's word in its entirety. This is what we'll be judged on. And for when our students come in and we, and we have a parents meeting, many times I'll remind them, hey, listen, we're going to have fun in a student ministry. I love having fun. I'm a big kid at heart, even though my body tells me otherwise all the time. But one thing I know is that God is not going to hold me accountable for how many inflatables we had, how many people were at an event, or how many pizzas were there, even though praise the Lord for pizza. But what I will have to give an account for is that clearly and accurately and confidently teach the word of God to our students. And so our student ministry hopefully will be known 
as a ministry that preaches the word of God. And can I just say that I know for a fact that all three of your pastors, when we stand before you on Sunday, we take this calling very seriously. That is why we pray over the scripture. We study, we read about the scripture. We'll even bounce it off of one another. I mean, just on Thursday, I'm in uh, Brian's office, bouncing it off of him, and it moves from his office into our conference room so we can write, we can write on the whiteboard. And all throughout the week, I'm knocking on Chad's door saying, hey, Chad, let me, let me bounce this off of you. Let me, sure, let me make sure it's making sense. And they do the exact same thing when we're preaching. And we do that because we want to make sure that we're not teaching our opinion to you, but we're teaching accurately the word of God. But notice that this text in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says that the primary calling, the primary responsibility of the pastor is to preach the word. Are there other responsibilities? Absolutely. But the primary one for a pastor is to preach the word. Even the apostles understood this. If we were to look at Acts 6, that's why they would elect and raise up deacons to take care of the needs that arose within the church. They knew that both of them were equally important, but they knew that they could not do both equally well. And they also understood my primary calling is to the prayer and to the ministry of God's word. And so preaching is the primary responsibility of a pastor. So why do we preach? We preach because we have news worth sharing. We preach because we have been given a command, but we also preach because preaching is God's instrument for bringing life. Flip flip over with me to 1 Corinthians 14. We'll be looking at verses 23 through 25. But before we look at those verses, I want us to look at verse 1 of chapter 14. Paul would say, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Very simply, Paul says, hey, desire the spiritual gifts, but more than any other, desire that you would prophesy. Now that word prophecy is being used here in its most general sense, which means the speaking forth of God's word. And if we were to keep reading, we would see that Paul goes into great lengths to talk about the difference between prophecy and speaking in tongues. And he does so because in that day and time in the church in Corinth, there's this internal conflict going on with the church dealing with these two things. Christians are are obsessed with speaking in tongues, all the while an unbeliever coming in is confused, having no idea what they're saying. So what Paul is doing in chapter 14 is he's calling the, the church to focus on what builds up the church, which is prophecy or preaching. So with that said, let's flip over to verses 23 through 25. He would say, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders are unbelievers in her, will they not say you are out of your minds? But if you say, but if all prophecy, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So Paul says, if you speak in tongues, understand church that when an unbeliever comes in, they're gonna think you're crazy, they're out of your mind. 
So I'm calling you to preach the word because the preaching of God's word is both for the unbeliever and the believer alike. God still uses the, the, his word that he has spoken to still powerfully speak to us today because his word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. For the believer, it brings life because it builds up, it sanctifies We hear God's word proclaimed and the Holy Spirit may deal with us and show us walls that we've built, sin that we're walking in. And he says, you've got to get these fixed. Or he reminds us of the commands that he's called us to live out, fixes our eyes on Jesus, but it builds up the believer. And for the unbeliever, it brings life because preaching brings salvation. Paul talks about this, the importance of preaching in Romans 10, 14 through 15 and how it brings life to the unbeliever. When he says, how then? Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I love this passage because it it kind of blows up that saying we hear a lot of times. I'm going to love them into heaven. Paul goes, that's just not right. That's not true. You don't love them into heaven. Do you love and serve them? Absolutely. But the proclamation of God's word has to be there for them to come into eternal life. And what happens is when God's word is proclaimed and they hear it and they receive it and they begin to think on it, God's spirit begins to work and it brings them to salvation. And this is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, when they hear the word of God, they're convicted and judged, that they're exposed They realize that they can't hide anything because the all-knowing, all-seeing God sees everything. He's looking and he's judging their heart. Because they hear the word of God proclaimed, as a result, they fall to their knees and they worship God. For me, I've never seen this more visible than when I lived in Africa for a summer. And I was given the privilege one Sunday of going with with the missionary me and my buddy were assigned to, to this church out in the remote bush. And, I, and after I gave the sermon using our missionaries, the translator, I can remember walking out of this clay hut with a grass roof and this young man coming up to me and, and you could tell he's visibly shaken and so much so that his hands are shaking. You knew that, that God's word had gotten a hold of him, that spirit was at work. And it was that day that the missionary led him to Christ. But that doesn't happen when, when you preach your own opinion. That happens when you preach the entirety of God's word. And so we preach because it's God's instrument to bring life, both to the believer and the unbeliever. And it brings life. It builds up, it sanctifies, it saves. Only when we preach the whole counsel of God's word, when we preach the gospel. This is what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 4. Again, if you want to flip back over, but 2 Timothy 4, 2. Paul would tell Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That word that Paul uses, he says, preach the word. A lot of times we might just want to blow over it, but if you start looking at it, what Paul is saying is preach the gospel in all its, etern- all, in all its entirety. Why would he say that to Timothy? Why would he say that to pastors? Well, he gives the answer to Timothy in the previous chapter in verse six, when he says, verse 16, when he says, all scripture, meaning Old Testament and New Testament is breathed out by God. 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We as pastors, we don't preach our opinion. We don't preach what is culturally acceptable. We preach the whole counsel of God's word, which there means there are going to be times where we encourage and teach. There are going to be times that we, we correct and we reprove and we rebuke. And those last two, reprove and rebuke. I don't know any pastor that goes, man, I cannot wait to do that. Please sign me up. I can't wait to deal with a hard conversation. I can't wait to deal with church discipline. But we do it because we've been commanded by God to do so. And so there are going to be times where maybe you come in here and you feel like a pastor is going, man, they wrote that exactly for me. They know what's going on in my life. Or man, that, that stepped on our toes. No, that's not the case. What you're feeling is the Holy Spirit doing some work in your life saying, we got to till up some stuff because this has got to change. But we do all of that. We encourage, we teach, we correct, we rebuke and reprove because we've been commanded by God and we're under the authority of God's word to do so. So we don't speak our opinion and we do it because We love you, we care for you, and we desire that you grow in righteousness and you be more like Christ. So church family, may it be that this is what you demand from your pastors is they preach the entirety of God's word. They they don't preach or teach and give you motivational talks. You don't need motivation. They don't give you a self-help talk about how to be a better father or husband or a mother or a better student. You you don't need any self-help talks. Because what happens is when we start preaching the word of God in its entirety, God's spirit does something amazing and he speaks exactly to that issue. It's pretty crazy, but he always does. And so it may be, may it be that you demand that we preach the entirety of God's word. And so why do we preach? Well, we set out to answer that question and we could easily sum it up this way. We preach because we have been commanded by God to proclaim good news that brings life to both the believer and the unbeliever. This is the first mark of the church. This should be the the first evidence that the world sees that knows that we truly are the church of Jesus Christ, that we boldly proclaim the entirety of the gospel and we get to say to a lost and dying generation, behold our God who has come, who saves and who will return. P.T. Forsyth, the Scottish theologian, said this, with, with preaching, Christianity stands or falls because it is the declaration of the gospel. May it be that we at the brook are known even more than our ministries that we have that are great, but may it be that we're known because we preach the word of God. Because it's when we do that, then the culture and our community and our lives here will be forever changed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Because first of all, I have to humbly come and say thank you for the high calling that you've given me and given us as pastors to proclaim your word, which is living and active, 
and sharper than any two-edged sword, which is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and training and righteousness so that we may be approved and ready to do your works. God, thank you that we can come in here and your word speaks to us that your spirit moves and it shows us where this applies to our life. God, as we leave here, my prayer is that we would understand the importance of preaching, that we not take it lightly or we have an attitude that that acts as if it's like, who is this man that stands before me and tells me how to live because this is my life? God, that they would see us as humbly coming, proclaiming your word, not our opinion. So Lord, my prayer is that we at the brook, we'd be known even more than our ministries for preaching the gospel gospel that brings life, a gospel that is worthy of interrupting people's lives because it it changes eternity for them. God, that we would boast in your name. God, I'm thankful that we preach because it brings life not only to the unbeliever, but to the believer as well. It builds us up. It builds me up. Father, maybe there's somebody in this room that that doesn't know you. They don't know the God that we speak of. They don't know this good news. Father, my prayer is that today they would surrender and salvation would be theirs. If that's the case, and that is you, we have elders that are going to be in the back tables that would love to talk with you. But God, I pray you'd give us a high view for your word this morning each and every day that we would live it out. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who changed eternity, who changed our lives. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus, who was and is and is to come. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.